Welcome back to Center Ed Teaching. Um, this week we're switching up the format a little bit to do the podcast in a different way. Um, we're going to have three separate interviews with three different CPEC coaches to talk about a practice that has befuddled teachers since the beginning of time and is something that teachers continuously want to use but find different problems in their practice with. And that's the idea of grouping uh, in classwork to make it most effective for the students and for the teachers. And so to do that, the first person I have to interview with me is the ever-present Brian. Hey, y'all. Um, so, Brian, I just kind of have three basic questions that I want to get through. And, and the first one is, is grouping a good practice? If so, when? And is there a time where maybe teachers should shy away from using groups? So that's one question. Yeah. That's one question. Gotcha, okay. Um, I think grouping is a good practice, and um, and I'm not alone. Um, not for nothing in the Danielson framework uh, for teaching, um, it calls specific attention to uh, questioning and discussion. And mm -hmm. it's kind of tricky to have discussion if you don't have students grouped. Um, you can have a whole class discussion, but um, uh, certainly having smaller student-directed discussions sort of land you kind of farther along the, the development of, of good teaching according to the Danielson framework. Um, but then also, um, I think if we go back to John Dewey's notion that all learning is uh, uh, socially situated, um, that um, unless you have sort of like this kind of Robinson Crusoe type figure, um, and even he wasn't alone, um, uh, none of us really operates alone in this world. So to the extent that we learn things in conversation with others, um, that's, I think, the real benefit of group work. Um, additionally, um, there's a notion of... Um, uh, a shared uh, building of meaning around meaningful work. Um, that is to say, if you offer a group of students a challenging task, uh, an intellectually stimulating or even, dare I say, rigorous task, then as they collaborate to address the task to, to accomplish the mission, um, there's an esprit de corps that builds. Um, so in addition to the academic value of uh, group work, there is a social value. So both the explicit curriculum and the hidden curriculum at the same time. Can I ask actually a question about the academic work? Sure. Because when I talk with some teachers about group work, their concern is that um, some group members will do more of the work yeah. than other group members. And so there's actually not the academic rigor that's distributed across the classroom. And so you have this kind of reinforcing of certain students really learning and other students not learning. Does that pushback hold weight with you? or And do you have a response to that? Or? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, yes, that happens all the time. Um, I think one of the challenges for teachers is to structure group work in a meaningful way. Um, what I, I'm a big fan of assigning roles um, to students in a group, um, and you can assign sort of process goals, like one person is the note taker, one person is equipment manager, these sorts of things. Um, but I think uh, assigning um, certain deliverables in terms of what that group of students is going to produce is also a way to hold everyone in the group accountable. So uh, what I coach my teachers to do is have um, a group product that needs to be assessed, but then also assign each student an individual component of it that they are assessed uh, or is used to, to assess their mastery as well. So there's both an individual component to the assessment and grading as well as a group one. And just to tease apart a little bit what you said, even though you reiterate, just to make sure I'm hearing it right, is that the individual is the process. 
this is like your role in the process of creating this knowledge and then the group work as a collective is there's this deliverable that you're presenting that is encompassing the learning that we hope happens well actually i think i think both so for example um let's say there's a group of four students and um uh, my my role as a student in the group is I'm the note taker. Mm -hmm. So in addition to contributing that to the process, perhaps the artifact to demonstrate that I've, that I've you know fulfilled that role is my notes. Mm -hmm. But additionally, whatever the final product is, let's say we're building um, a model of our ideal home and we've labeled everything in Spanish. So Spanish lesson. Um, uh, perhaps my responsibility is to make sure that all of the labels are made in such a way according to the certain criteria for success I've set out in the assignment. Um, so I have a role in the process, and as a teacher I can um, uh, assess my work. <laughs> I just realized what I did there. Um, but uh, um, I can uh, see the notes that the note taker has taken, but then also I can look at the actual model of the home and make sure that the component assigned to that person mm. is also meets the criteria for success set out in the assignment. So you're, you're focusing a lot on group work being a good practice in that it's structured. And so I think my second question deals with how do you suggest structuring groups? So you've already hinted at this like well you have specific roles that like students can contribute to to then do the overall project but in terms of grouping right we often hear the debate between heterogeneous and homogeneous yeah. grouping um, and different variations of that and so I guess where do you fall on that spectrum and what's the reason or is it heterogeneous at certain times homogeneous at different times um, just your perspective on yeah, that. Yeah, I think it's the it's the last thing you said. Um, decisions around uh, how to group students are uh, just as unique to the circumstance as decision of what text to read mm -hmm. or what um, what questions to put before a student. So on some tasks and at some times, uh, it makes sense to group students heterogeneously. Um, and also, by the way, when we say group students heterogeneously, we can unpack what we mean by that in sure. terms of heterogeneous by um, uh, English fluency, heterogeneous by uh, academic achievement, heterogeneous mm -hmm. by um, socioeconomic status even. Um, so, and then sometimes it'll make sense to group students homogeneously, um, and then sometimes it'll make sense to give students free choice over how they group themselves. So depending on all of the circumstances around that particular moment of learning, teachers can and should uh, use their judgment to determine how to best put their students into groups. And I would encourage them um, if they are, uh, if their grouping of students is a thing that um, an observer might note and be, be part of the teacher's assessment, to articulate their rationale for the grouping right there in the lesson plan so that an assistant principal or anyone looking at the class can say, ah, this teacher has mixed heterogeneously by English fluency because there is a certain reading in this as part of as, as part of this task that they they believe a student with a greater degree of fluency might help students with a lesser degree so I, I mean I think this is in some ways is really helpful theoretically to say that yes sometimes you use heterogeneous sometimes homogeneous and sometimes students self-select but what I'm thinking about is as a teacher listening to this podcast when is the time to use heterogeneous and homogeneous and to let students self-select. And obviously you can't document each individual situation, but could you maybe give um, an idealistic version or a certain instance when you'd use each type of grouping? Absolutely. 
Um, I work in a school uh, uh, weekly where um, everyone in the class is an English language learner. Um, all of the students are recent immigrants. Um, and uh, in a particular project right now, the teacher has the students grouped homogeneously by English language fluency or mastery of the English language. And the reason is um, he has uh, um, differentiated the readings accordingly. Mm. So whereas the highest, the, the, the students with the highest degree of, of English fluency might actually read a Supreme Court decision, mm -hmm. um, a middle tier group in terms of their fluency will have a an heavily annotated and perhaps truncated version. And the students with the lowest degree of English fluency will have um, a, a, a condensed version. Mm -hmm. So three texts, um, and because he's offering these three actual texts, or three versions of the same text, let's say, he's got these three leveled groups um, so that they can really gather up as much information as they can from the text that they have access to. Now, what he's then going to do is take all of those students, remix them into heterogeneous groups of, by fluency, but homogeneous around the topics that they're writing their research mm. papers on. So the Fourth Amendment group is going to get together, the Fifth Amendment group is going to get together, but they've all had a chance within other groups to get the information they need with the text that's most accessible to them. Now they'll work together as partners around creating the final product. So mm. in that instance, within the same day, I saw a heterogeneous group and a homogeneous group just um, for different purposes within the same lesson. Yeah, I think that that's a really great example to, again, remind teachers that homogeneous doesn't mean homogeneous forever, nor does heterogeneous, Correct. right? You can intermix the two. But one thing I just, I guess what I hear from mm -hmm. that, I, I want to spit back and kind of hear what I'm, or see if what I'm hearing is correct. And that's the first part is that you have this homogeneous mixture because the task is trying to make sure that it's a task that all students can succeed at individually. Right. And so it makes sense then that groups are, um, developed that way so that they have a text that reflects the same thing. But the heterogeneous mixture is around similar content, right? And they've all already had equal access to the material. Mm -hmm. So now it's a discussion based on that like common ground. Right. And so maybe kind of a framework teasing out for this and frameworks probably too strong because it's just one example though, is that when you're thinking about developing students individual uh, fluency or reading skills or computational skills, maybe homogeneous is a good way to go. And heterogeneous can be once you've gotten to that next step and you're pushing the conversation to um, hopefully a deeper level that you have that intermixing. Absolutely. And I mean, another thing that I've seen this teacher do is group uh, homogeneously by home language. So all of the Spanish speakers together, the French speakers together, the Urdu speakers together. And then after they've had a chance to have a conversation in their home language, he'll then scramble it up into heterogeneous by home language so that now he's asking students to have an academic conversation in English mm -hmm. around the topic they just had the same conversation about in their home language. So uh, he's sort of very cleverly, I think, working in language goals at the same time he's getting the content knowledge in. Um, and again, that happened within the same lesson. Yeah, and so I guess just the last point that I want to ask about here is uh, when do students self-select? I think a lot of teachers are really hesitant yeah. to allow students to do that. And, and I know for me personally that I think it's something that I really value because, you know, people need to learn how to work together. And there can be some lessons that maybe if they end up with some academic struggles, struggles that people learn from that going forward. So I'm just curious what your thoughts on that yeah, are. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
the notion of student self selection the, the the challenge that teachers often face is but they'll all the friends will get together and they'll you know they'll goof off well what if all the friends got together and really created something amazing because they like each other and they know each other well and they know how to work with each other so in terms of whether a student is on task or off task yes having students kind of hang out with the, the folk they chat with the most could be challenging um, but to the extent that uh, that group of friends is presented with a r appropriately challenging and engaging task mm -hmm. um, then you're already channeling their collective energy toward more productive ends um, and then in terms of like self-selection one trick that I often like to do is um, I would ask students to list three students they would like to be grouped with and then I would guarantee them one off their list. And then I would engineer the groups based on all of the different factors that go into mm -hmm. making groups. Um, but once I know sort of uh, uh, with students um, whom, whom they would prefer to work with or with whom they would prefer to work, can't take the English teacher out of the English, um, <laughs> then I can start to do the work it takes to put together good groups that I think are going to be productive, on task, um, provide the best learning environment for the students and as a little carrot hey you're grouped with at least one of your buddies and that's kind of flexible right Absolutely. because that allows you to get in student selection while you're maybe doing a homogeneous or heterogeneous or or what have you um the final question i think that i have is just your take on or what your advice would be to teachers who are maybe hesitant to grouping and maybe you can think about like in your own work with teachers that you've coached who have been apprehensive about doing group work and kind of what are one or two like nuggets that from your experience you can share with people? Sure. I would say for, for teachers who are particularly nervous about this um, to, to think through what structures they can put in place. Um, so we talked about roles and we talked about how um, uh, assessment structures can, can be assigned in such a way that there's individual accountability and responsibility. Um, but just like using a conversation protocol to help students have a more productive academic conversation in the class, there are group work protocols that can help students um, sort of know what it is that they have to do at any given time. Because part of why we assign group work is to help students learn how to work in groups. Um, and that's the other thing, which is uh, I would say to teachers, don't expect students to be able to flawlessly and seamlessly work in a group. Mm. Um, just like anything, whether it's writing a thesis statement or you know, deriving the quadratic equation, you have to teach students how to do the thing you want them to do, not just task them with it. So um, even with 12th graders, the idea of um, having a fishbowl conversation where um, four students are in the middle having a structured academic conversation, everyone else watches, and then they can offer some, this is what I noticed about the conversation. Right. I liked it when Shana agreed with John and Shana said, I agree with John. So those sorts of let's talk about how we talk, let's work mm -hmm. on how we work, Let's collaborate about how we collaborate. Um, it sounds trite, but um, teaching students how to work in groups and then structuring that work for them so that they know exactly what they have to do to be successful in this group setting, I think that can help teachers go a long way. And there's plenty of like actual like um, like tactics and tricks that a teacher can deploy. Um, one of my favorites always was I got, uh, even though I was teaching middle school at the time and then took this trick into a high school classroom, the old elementary school sentence strip chart. Um, it's like, imagine um, six, uh, a, a chart uh, with 
plastic on the front, clear plastic on the front with, say, seven rows, um, where you could put pieces of paper and structure sentences in the elementary school classroom, mm. since the sentence strip chart. I would get um, note cards, and I would put students' names on them, and, and basically make a, uh, the assignments for the group work for the day. And part of the routines that I had going on in my class was, as students would come in, I'd greet them at the door, and I'd say, check the group chart and sit at the appropriate table. Mm. Um, and so at the start of any given period, students knew exactly where to sit, with whom they should sit, and then what their role was. And it was all communicated to them with a sentence strip chart. Yeah, I mean, if I can actually uh, summarize what sticks out for me about what you just said is that, you know, we often talk about college and career ready. Yeah. And that talks about like academic rigor, but there are these other parts that like are part of life and part of job, hence group work yeah. being one of them. And so sometimes we can lose sight of that. And so even though it can be a trial and a process to train how to do this thing that's actually really difficult, it's for that very reason, it's necessary. Yeah, I had a conversation with someone today who uh, just wrapped up her first year as a master's student uh, here at Teachers College. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about the challenges she faced in a group project that she just turned in and how part of the challenge was even getting people to uh, honor deadlines mm -hmm. or uh, re respond in a timely manner on email. Um, and it's something that people see in the world of work as well. Mm -hmm. So learning how to be a good, responsible, reliable, contributing member of a team is a thing that people need to learn and is a thing that we as teachers can teach. Well, Brian, thank you as always for the wisdom and uh, for those of you listening, stay tuned for our next conversation. Thank you all. Um, thanks for listening to our conversation with Brian, and now we're transitioning into a conversation because um, two minds are better than one. Oh, so yeah. Christina and Courtney are both with us here now. Hey. Hello. Um, and so we're going to talk about the same questions that we did with Brian, hopefully with some different perspectives and maybe a different response to the ideas as Christina and Courtney talk with one another. So I, I guess the first question that I have that I had also asked Brian is, do you find that group work is a necessary practice or is it a good practice in classroom? Are there particular situations that are better suited for group work than others or what's kind of your framework in thinking on that? Um, I always love group work. I think that it, I mean, I think if we're really trying to make the real world connections um, that so much of the education world is focused on, common core, career college readiness and all of that I think that when you really take a look at um, careers nowadays there's very little that we're doing alone mm -hmm. um, and I think that there are a lot of really valuable skills involved in learning how to work effectively with different kinds of people um, different kinds of backgrounds of people ability levels um, so I think that group work is definitely um, an ideal way to go as far as um, you know, classroom cultures and, and classroom goals, for that mm -hmm. matter. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I think it's it's super important. Um, but of course, there are a lot of things to consider mm -hmm. and to put in place prior to uh, embarking upon group work in your classroom, mm -hmm. especially at the elementary school level, um, mm -hmm. that need to be considered and, and mm -hmm. um, planned out. 
Yeah, and I want to get more into those mm-hmm. structural questions in a little bit. But mm-hmm. Courtney, I, I yeah. also want to hear um, your thoughts. Uh, thumbs up, Christina. Everything you said, of course, I agree with. <laughs> uh, great instructional and educational ideas. Um, real world connections, 100%. Um, I'd also like to just add, before we get into some of the complications, which do exist with group work, um, that I think it's an extremely important management Mm -hmm. tool for the classroom, for teachers. Uh, Think about it, and I I think about this all the time when I'm in a classroom, instead of having 32 individuals kind of herding cats sometimes Mm -hmm. in the classroom, you can break that down essentially to, if my math is right, uh, eight groups of four students, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then suddenly the management becomes yeah. much, I don't want to say easier, but much more approachable. And I think that it's a skill that young teachers, new teachers, as well as veteran teachers really um, should, I'll use that word, strive to use in the classroom. So I think this idea of groups. And, and also I think that real world, yeah, and people need to learn to collaborate and partner in the real world for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. It also builds in mutual accountability. Students are, pro- are much more willing, I've seen it with my own kids at home from the homework side, to finish an assignment or do well on it when their teammates and their classmates are counting on them to bring it in and to be part of a, a team effort. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, I think it's um, really important for teachers and students alike. Well, what I think is fascinating about what you just said, Courtney, is that it's a tool for classroom management. I think teachers often say, I can't do group work yeah. because is actually a problem to classroom management. So I think providing that perspective is unique, but Christina, I wanna go back to what you were saying a little bit. You said, you know, there's a lot of things that have to be structured and thought through. And Mm -hmm. so when you're thinking about, okay, like, yes, we want group work in our class because it's so important for college readiness. It's so important for this world that we live in. Mm how do you go about structuring that in the most effective way? Is there like one strategy? Is there variations? And when do those variations occur? I realize that's it, a lot of questions. At yeah. Once. Yes. There are like certain kind of norms that you can use that would, that would cross classrooms or cross sort of grade levels. But I think that is, it is very much uh, contingent upon the group of students you have in front of you um, and really understanding their ways of working and, um, which groups might work best together in what context, in what kind of project, in what kind of task, um, and really setting those norms clearly and articulately with students mm-hmm. so that they're very um, comfortable and aware of what it is that is expected of them. So that it doesn't just mean like, oh, I'm putting students together um, and giving them something to do, mm-hmm. but that the group work is very much um, thought through as part of the lesson or the or the skill that you're focusing mm-hmm. on. So mm-hmm. does group make go, does group work? Excuse me, make sense for this task, for this skill, um, for this text or whatever it is that we're focused on, um, and really building that into your planning rather than it just sort of being an afterthought. Like oh, we're just going to do this in groups, or oh, mm-hmm. turn and talk to mm-hmm. your partner. Mm-hmm. Um, but that you're really thoughtfully thinking through um, what kinds of groups, when, how, and then slowly building that in. I think it was in another podcast we were talking about discussion, Mm. right? That you can't all of a sudden just say like, we're going to discuss, we're going to discuss for 20 minutes this particular text or this particular um, idea, but that you're, you know, building the stamina of students in order to work with a partner perhaps at first Mm -hmm. and then going to three and then going to make, you know, make four um, and that kind of a thing so that you are slowly introducing um, what group work looks like and, and the expectations that the students have 
um, for themselves individually and for the group. Um, I just want to ask a follow-up question sure. to that, and that is, you know, I think you laid out that to do your groups most effectively, like you need to know your students mm -hmm. and do that. And so that's a statement that I 100% agree with, but I'm thinking, you know, as a teacher, that mm -hmm. kind of blanket statement can mm -hmm. be hard to think about in practice. So do you maybe have an example of where you saw group work that was really well done, where a teacher said, okay, this is the dynamics of my classroom. Mm -hmm. This is the task that I want them to do. So I'm assigning, I'm assigning these types of groups in this assignment mm -hmm. for that to best be successful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it goes, like, so you have this sort of um, standard, like, homogenous grouping, heterogeneous grouping, mm -hmm. but there's also, like, interest grouping, mm -hmm. right? So really thinking about, so, like, um, or mixed ability groups um, would be the heterogeneous, mm -hmm. for example, right? So thinking about, like, does this task or does this sort of project lend better to everybody being sort of at the same level mm -hmm. um, or perhaps mixing it up because, you know, the, the perhaps more... Um, I don't want to say capable because that's sort of loaded, but in the in a particular example, perhaps they have a little bit more of a strength in that mm -hmm. area, and they can help students a little bit more. Are they are the students particularly prone to leadership? Um, and so I've seen some really wonderful group work around um, in in a science example at the mm -hmm. elementary school level where they used the mixability groups, and it worked really really well because they the teacher seemed to know each of the strengths of the students mm -hmm. um, in terms of who would be sort of the leader naturally. Uh, and they also assigned roles, which can be hugely helpful um, to say, okay, you're going to kind of be the leader in this. You're going to be the sort of detail-oriented, um, you know, uh, organizing the materials. Um, you're going to kind of be the presenter or the speaker. Um, and that's when I've seen it really work um, mm -hmm. to where the teacher, again, and then I think also that you need to create space for trial and error and recognize, okay, that group didn't work. Cross that off the list. Let's try that's something right. else. That's right. Um, because it's not going to be a perfect science. Um, that's right. Ha ha ha. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, and being being willing to uh, recognize when it doesn't too, and yeah. making the adjustment. If I can just highlight two things that you said, because yeah. I, think... I did say a lot. Sorry, <laughs> no, no, no. Good. I think there's good. a lot of overlap with some of the ideas that you know Brian had previously brought forth. But I think there's two really unique ones that mm -hmm. you did, and that's one: this idea of trial and error. Mm -hmm. I think with groups, we think like, oh, there's a definitive way to do it, and that we must do it. And as teachers, right? Like we're always learning. And improving mm -hmm. but the second thing that I heard that quite honestly I've never heard before is the idea of thinking about what are the roles mm -hmm. and then what are students strengths in those roles mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. then designing the group based on mm -hmm. that because mm -hmm. if the idea is that everyone needs to master the content mm -hmm. let me put students in the role that they're most likely to succeed mm -hmm. and then hope that that will carry over to the content mm -hmm. and that's something I've not heard before and I find fascinating oh. yeah Definitely. Um, oh, 100%. I think that, um, I think Christina said such great stuff. I don't have like a ton to add. Um, I, but I 100% agree. The best group work that I had done in my classroom, that I have done and that I've seen, is oftentimes, but not always, uh, this heterogeneous idea that we're really going to be empowering students and harnessing their interests and their abilities and skills. Mm -hmm. And so, as you said, Matt, to learn some tough new content or review mm -hmm. something, we are going to give students roles based on their strengths to enable them to have a more streamlined approach to learning that content. Um, so for example, if you are an artist and you feel like you're kind of struggling with math, mm -hmm. then in your group, you're designing the model that you guys are going to be presenting. Mm -hmm. And other people are helping or supporting you to do the computation, for mm -hmm. example, to set up the math problem. Um, if you are more of like a take charge person and maybe a little bit more type A, 
you're the manager, the materials manager, or you're the group leader. If you're more communicative, um, you might be the reporter, right? Mm -hmm. If you're more detail-oriented, you're the recorder and mm -hmm. you're writing it down. Mm -hmm. And then everyone's learning the content. You mm -hmm. might be tested on it, of mm -hmm. course, or mm -hmm. assessed on it, but each role is allowing the participant to best learn the material in a streamlined way. So I'm just sort of supporting yeah, yeah, what Christina absolutely. said 100%. Now, that said, if you're in a second grade classroom and students are struggling to learn, to decode, to mm -hmm. read, or first grade, I guess, whatever, mm -hmm. um, you might say, I really need to be supporting students with guided reading, and right. therefore, it's going to be a homogeneous group because we're really building those learning blocks, and we want students to be able to thrive and extend the learning as far as they need to, so it's a homogeneous group of like strong readers, and then we really want to support the struggling readers. I'm there as a teacher as a safety net and to support them with that. So it looks different um, in that mode. But again, I agree, I think the bottom line is to be thoughtful. Mm -hmm. What's your purpose for mm -hmm. using grouping? Mm -hmm. What's your purpose for creating the groups? And heterogeneous and homogeneous is a little bit simplistic. I completely agree yeah, with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I actually want to summarize one thing that you said that mm -hmm. I think is like this real, the, like this kernel to emerge for teachers and then ask a follow-up question sure. to sure. both of you. And sure. that's, you know, you were talking about homogeneous groupings, and it sounds like, you know, it can be effective in your classroom if there's a certain level of proficiency with skills yeah. that are sure. needed to be reached. And right. so that might lend a teacher to say, I need sure. to do this homogeneously. But once there's that certain proficiency, sure. then heterogeneous, despite the variance, right? Like in where people may be at skills, but once they put sure. that base proficiency, it makes sense. Would sure. that be right? I mean, that's... That is a possible way of looking mm -hmm. at it. However, if you think about the classroom, we're constantly cycling through, learning new skills, reinforcing them, and then reviewing and kind of applying them. So you might have the same classroom where students get very comfortable with a set of skills. Mm -hmm. They're in heterogeneous uh, groupings, for example, to apply those skills to a higher level mm -hmm. uh, project because you're feeling pretty confident about where most of the students are at. But then two weeks later, they're learning a new set of skills. And so mm -hmm. you might be cycling back to, hey, Let's work in groups according to, again, and I hate to use the word levels, but your reading proficiency. Um, and then a couple of weeks later, you might be able to move back to heterogeneous, just as an example. Yeah, I think also, sense. you know, I want to distinguish between like pulling a group and group work, hmm. right? So, for example, if I'm pulling a group because I've recognized that the similar students are struggling with the same skill. And they might be at different levels, so That's to speak, right. right? But they're all struggling, let's say, with um, character analysis, right? Mm -hmm. If we're thinking about reading. So I'm going to pull a group because it behooves me as the teacher. Mm -hmm. to, it's more manageable. I'm not repeating the sort of same idea or strategy or reinforcement to 15 other students. But I'm pulling a group to say, hey, let's work together and problem solve around this particular skill. Mm -hmm. That's different than I am purposely planning out group work for a lesson or a project, right? Um, and there are it's there true. are places for heterogeneous pulled groups and homogeneous pulled groups, right? Mm -hmm. To Courtney's point, like guided reading is based upon the idea that the students are at the same level, mm -hmm. right? And so you right. are pulling them as a homogeneous group to focus on reading of the same text, That's right. same task. So um, I'm actually leading a guided reading workshop right now, and one of the main distinct distinctions that we're trying to make is between guided reading groups and strategy groups. And guided reading, again, is a homogenous group based upon readers at the same level. And a strategy group could be you know, one of your highest level readers and one of your lowest level readers, but they're both alike in that they are struggling with um, 
a similar mm-hmm. a similar skill, mm-hmm. right? I.e. character skill. analysis right. or whatever. Um, so I think these frameworks and kind of this clarification that you pulled out between pulling groups and doing group work in the class is really helpful. Mm-hmm. One thing that I guess I want to ask as a follow-up question that I could see as slightly problematic is, is there a danger of pathologizing students and mm-hmm. saying that, like, you know, this is the role that you do best mm-hmm. at, so, like, that's the role that you're going to oh, yeah. gonna use? And, and if so, you know, how do we combat that in sure. a way that's supportive of students that allows them to branch sure. out and, and yeah. to continue to grow as I, I think this is a really, really good question, mm-hmm. and I think, again, it's a complicated uh, procedure in the classroom trying to think about and implement group work. I think we don't want to pigeonhole students, and I just want to say that really clearly. If you're sort of that take control leader type, that doesn't mean that you should be the leader every mm-hmm. single time. Yes. It means that other students, right, Christina, mm-hmm. need to have the opportunity to build those skills and to develop those skill sets. So I like to, and, and I've seen this, once a teacher gets to know the students fairly well, I think then you can start to build in some choice. And I'm using the word choice very uh, specifically. I am not a huge proponent of straight out, just choose your groups. Uh, I don't always think that I don't always think that's the best way to go. I think that choice within limitations is a really nice way yeah. to go in the classroom. So for example, uh, here are the four roles in the group. We have, uh, I'll be traditional, recorder, reporter, materials manager, and group leader. Uh, which one of these would you like to try? Rank in order. Mm-hmm. And then why would you like to try this role? And why do you think you might be good in this role? So it's sort of like, A, applying for a job, but also being able to try new jobs. Mm -hmm. And then as a teacher, I have a modicum of control over it so that I can make sure that I'm creating groups I strategically think might work and support students' growth Mm -hmm. as well as their skill building. And I'm also allowing them the choice to say, hey, I've never been the leader. I really would like to try it even though I'm a quieter person. Then you can even be explicit about that with your group. We're changing roles. How do we support each other when we change roles? If you've been the leader, turn to the person who's the new leader give them five tips, you know, that kind of thing. So that we have a classroom built around not just groups, either choice or or non-choice, but discussion about groups and Mm -hmm. how we do them and how we support each other in different roles. Yeah, I mean, just to to echo that, especially at the elementary school level. Sure. And this kind of goes back to what I was saying originally around making sure that you've put sort of systems and and structures in place. Yes. Um, Do not underestimate the granular level of detail that's required in group Mm -hmm. work like so whether you have task cards on the tables to say like you know here's exactly what you need to do so that you're almost creating another teacher in the room Mm -hmm. um, with the task card and going over systems and structures around using materials because that can go all over the place but I think what what Courtney's saying is and something that worked very very well in my classroom was that once you've established the roles right, i.e. leader, reporter, reporter, whatever, um, the students know that and they expect that every time that they go into a group task. Mm-hmm. And we, I would often set the expectation that you can't be the same role more than twice yeah. or something along those lines so that they knew, and it wasn't a surprise to them, it didn't all of a sudden say, nope, you cannot be the leader today, but they knew that after they've already done it once or twice that they would have to shift. And so they would anticipate that and they would know that, okay, now I need to try and be the leader. Now I need to try and be the recorder. Um, so that, because at the end of the day, all of those skills are valuable. That's right. All of them are important. That's right. And we want all of our students to develop all of those skills. So if they're only flexing sort of one muscle, mm. um, then, you know, the, the other, That's right. yeah, they're not developing the others. That's so. right. 
yeah, but not surprising them, you know, that, that especially, I again, agree. young kids would mm-hmm. get really upset mm-hmm. um, if they had a particular role in mind. So letting them know in advance. That's right. Um, yeah. I think something that is coming out from my kind of putting together of your comments is, one, that, like, the amount of attention to detail cannot be understated yes. in that no. when you're planning group work, you're not planning group work as a one-off activity. That's correct? right. But you're That's planning right. it as a part of the construction right. of your classroom, That's right. which is also dependent upon a particular culture, right? That's right. Where there might be some student choice, but the teacher is That's still right. controlling that. I mean, you had a beautiful use of the word modicum. So <laughs> I, oh, I, did. I, I didn't want to repeat did. it, I was, but, yes. I, but I did okay. want to highlight it. Um, <laughs> oh, thanks, guys. <laughs> Good uh, use of vocabulary. <laughs> oh, great. Fabulous. I'll try to pull some more out. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that this idea of establishing routines and rituals in the classroom and kind of creating a space where they are acknowledged, practiced, and then explicitly discussed and reflected on is really, really important. You can have rotating roles. Uh, lit circles are a fine example of that, so mm-hmm. that students are rotating through each week or each mm-hmm. day, whatever it is, a different role. Then maybe there's some choice. But I think establishing those routines down to the granular details. I agree with Christina, is so important. I'm working with um, a wonderful uh, first year teacher, shout out to those first year teachers out there, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and we decided uh, midway through the year, okay, it's time to try group work. We've got that lesson planning down, these lesson plans are wonderful. And what we noticed was that it was actually a lot harder than we expected Mm -hmm. to start to implement it because the details and the routines um, were just so important to get them down in, a, in a, a very detailed, specific way that we actually had the students practice. The teacher and I rehearsed ahead of time what he was going to say, how we were going to carry it out in class. And then we actually, I'll be very honest, we backed off and we went back very specifically, and I think Christina mentioned this, to partner work. Mm-hmm. And we really got down like turn and talk and partner work even mm-hmm. for five minutes at mm-hmm. a time and then 10 minutes at a time. And then, and it worked very nicely, and I give them a lot of kudos, we worked in, in, um, in four, right. two partners together. Yeah, where you so, make four. Yeah. That's right, where we make four. And it's, it's a really nice routine that I would um, encourage yeah. folks to try, which is this really get the partnering down and the turn and talk and the pair share, and then moving to four, because right. it's quite manageable. And if you get the unit of two down and they feel comfortable with the routine and the other two are comfortable with the routine, putting the four together, becomes a natural so it's a really nice way to build into group work and I mean I'm sure you guys have a you know well of knowledge that will never be fully tapped but (laughs) you've already given a lot of advice and frameworks of thinking of this and I guess just if there were any other coaching advice for a teacher who might be reticent to use group work in his or her class or maybe has some reservations or needs help what would be maybe the top couple of tips that in addition to what you've already said you might add on to that for teachers Yeah, I think definitely um, almost prepare for it going badly at first, in in all honesty, right? Like prepare for it to be, because it it is, and this You could also like summarize the coaching for first year teachers (laughs) that way. Prepare for it to go really bad. Fail forward. Um, Because I think that, um, and now I I lost my train of thought because I'm reminding, no, 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 it's okay, I'm reminding myself of my first year. flashbacks, right? Oh, me too. Um, Yeah, prepare for (laughs) it to be challenging. Um, It is very difficult to let go of control in that way, right? Like it's so often what we, we quote unquote criticize teachers for. It's like you're too teacher centered. You're talking too much, right? But whole class feels much more manageable, Mm -hmm. even though in reality it's not. That's right. Right? Um, Because you're not assessing all of your students. You're not able to 
um, to yeah, to really better better understand your your students um, because you're you're always whole class, but it takes a real shift mm-hmm. and a letting go that's often very difficult. But when you do, and when group work starts running smoothly, and you've worked out the kinks, and you've worked out the grouping and the dynamics and the cultures, it's really wonderful because it builds independence, it builds transference, it mm-hmm. builds problem solving and collaborative thinking and. You know, I think totally. we even started out this conversation with two minds is always better than one, right? Yep. I used to do yep. an exercise with a paper clip and, and the students I'd say like list how many ways and I think we've even done this in mm-hmm. our coaching community. Yeah. How many ways could you use this paper clip? Right. Mm. And then I say, um, now meet up with a partner and see how many more ideas you have. Exactly. Right? That in mm-hmm. essence is why we want to uh, support and promote group work. Um so definitely planning for it to go badly and the trial and error piece. I think also is almost over plan, yes. right? Over plan yes. in terms of putting the task cards out or giving them more than they're going to be able to accomplish so that in case you do have those groups that finish before or mm-hmm. less, like they know what they're doing and then it, it will really lend to um, less uh, less of a lift for the teacher, yeah. right? Because they've already done that planning. And then I think also be, be totally open to switching up your groups, right? Yes. Don't become, don't let don't your get groups attached. become fixed, mm. right? Oh, that group worked really well. I'm not going to change it. Again, thinking about what, what kind of grouping, when, how long, um, all of that needs to be a part of your planning um, so that you are, again, learning more mm-hmm. and the students are learning more. Um, so yeah, those are kind of the ones that are on the, the mm-hmm. front of my mm-hmm. mind. Awesome. Yeah, there's not really much to add. I would say uh, with group work, uh, keep the adage fail forward in mind and be flexible. If you see that groups don't work, don't give up on it. Maybe back off a little bit, start smaller, start with pair share, whatever it is. Feel free to, I I mean, understand that you might need to take a lot of time to plan ahead. And that really um, building the groundwork and very, very detailed fine-tuning of what do I expect students to be doing almost every minute that they're in the groups. Mm. I'm not just turning it over to them and saying, okay, now 20 minutes and you're just working in your groups. No. What do you expect them to be doing? And then how are you going to communicate what you expect them to be doing and hold them accountable? So really fine-tuning the detailed, specific instructions. And I think yeah. Christina mentioned that. Very important. Don't yeah. be afraid to do that. Yeah, but just to underscore that, too, because I yeah personally struggle yeah. with group work. Yeah. Um, in my own sort of academic journey, I always found that there was unequal distribution of the work. Yes. Mm. And certain kids, for you know whatever reason, um, ended up doing more. And right. so I think you definitely want to build out very clearly to Courtney's point, the expectations for each group member. Yeah. So yeah. that's where the roles can become particularly right. helpful in that what is the expectation for the leader? Yeah. What is the expectation for the presenter? Right. So that everybody is sharing in the workload and it's right. not just those two students or that one student that just does all of it and then right. the other kids kind of get to sit back or or um, perhaps they're not sitting back on purpose but they're sort of being lost yeah. in yeah. the mix a little bit. So really thinking through yeah, those I think um, expectations I, and norms. I'd like to build on that too because what I'm hearing from Christina and what I'd like to underscore also is As accountability. Models, a perfect discussion framework <laughs> for group one. I'd like to build on what Christina said, yes. Um, well, that's true. That is a whole nother podcast which is how we help them build in dialogue what is accountable talk around group work and how we are accountable to each other in our discussions. <laughs> But okay, that's for later. Um, 
but I think this idea of accountability is huge to me. And of course, I learned the hard way as a teacher who, with mm -hmm. my first year, didn't really get that, yes, you work as a group, but you each need to produce something individually. Mm -hmm. And we need to be able to see what you produce. And it needs to be aligned to the purpose for the right. lesson or the purpose for the group work. So if students are working on um, science, right, they might all need to produce, in the end, a piece of a lab that's the same. Mm -hmm. But but in the meantime, for their project component, they're each doing a different piece of the mm -hmm. project, for example. Right. Or you have to know they're doing this wonderful, you know, fantastic creative project, but the rubber meets the road when they all actually do need to produce, a, again, a piece of a lab or mm -hmm. some information on an assessment or yeah. on a quiz or hand it in. The group so is sort of the, the planning group, and the thinking and the envisioning, but that's then right. they all do their own that's right. piece. And, yeah. and, and collaboratively, I think, again, Moorhead's, you know, three heads is better than two and right. four is better than three or whatever. So a wonderful project does mirror a lot of work that goes on in the workplace. So each having a different component mm -hmm. is great. And also they might need to be producing at a separate time or something individually just to demonstrate mm -hmm. that they have individually um, accomplished their learning. That might look different, right? You might be able to differentiate that product also, but just something to keep in yeah, mind. For sure. Yeah, and I don't mean to hijack both of yours brilliance, but no, one no of hijacking. the things that like I think about with, you know, teachers being concerned about group work and that like, oh, disciplinarily it's so hard to mm -hmm. do is in some ways it's easy to maintain order when you don't have to be specific with your directions. Right. If you're doing whole class instruction and you say something wrong, someone can raise their hand and say, I, I don't know what that means, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, That's and you right. can respond. But when you've kind of put more of the ownership on students, you have to be that much more clear and that much more explicit. And like, that's one of the places that I think that I'm reminded of by your conversation that like to do group work, you have to start with mm -hmm. knowing exactly what you want done so that you can communicate mm -hmm. that in a way that's effective to students that they don't necessarily have to read it and ask a question, mm -hmm. but that they can read mm -hmm. it and understand, which is like really hard. Mm -hmm. It's really Well, hard. I think the other thing is that <laughs> just because you've now put the students in groups doesn't mean you get to sit back and put your feet no. up on the desk, right? Oh, it's like point. now it's I am circulating. What is my plan for circulation? That's Are there right. specific groups that I'm going to target? Because Are there things that I'm looking exactly. for as documentation? Exactly. That's right. That's am right. I, you know, exactly. What is my tracker? What am I that's looking right. for? What are the look for's? Am I, how am I reinforcing expectations? Expectations, That's right. um, so that you are you are still planning for your let's say fifty five minutes or your forty five minute right. period, um, but you're now just again targeting mm -hmm. different groups for different reasons or different students for different reasons. That's um, right. So it's a little bit more manageable in that sense, yeah. right? That's right. Well, ladies, thank hey, you so yeah, much. thanks, you're Matt. What a pleasure. Thanks, Christina. Yeah, great. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.